Hey everybody, this is Adkins. And this is Adam. And we are back after a short break, but it felt like ages because I didn't get to talk to my friend Adam during those two weeks, not very much at least. You know, it was weird because it felt like a long time, but every day felt like it went by so fast. I did not have the same experience as you. (laughs) Did you not? (laughs) No, these two weeks lasted forever. And part of that was work stuff and part of that was personal stuff. And uh, I'm glad to be recording. I've been looking forward to to this night since the very beginning of this week, just counting down. I got to the point, you know, I'm not like a child where I'm like counting down the days and putting X's on calendars and stuff. But I was like, man, you know what? I can't wait until Tuesday night when we get to sit down and record because it's been too many Tuesday nights since we last did that. It has been like it, and it throws me off too. I mean, I've been recording podcasts now for like I don't know four years or so. So every week it feels like I need to be behind a mic. And for two weeks, and for the first time in almost five years, I was not, and it felt weird, like not recording at all. It was just a very strange thing for me. And, and like work, I'd wake up and work, and then was going into some classes for work, and I would turn around and it would be eight p.m. and I thought that I had just woken up thirty minutes ago. So I'm ready to get back into my normal groove, where like you know I I know what I'm doing every Tuesday night, and that's recording AMP or Kyo Cinema. Yeah, you know how sick I am? I actually even missed the editing part. I oh, wake up wow. on Fridays and be like, oh man, I don't I don't I get to do that, to do. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> now now I get to go back to it. And as soon as I do, I'll wake up on Friday and be like, dang, I gotta gotta edit today. Yeah, that sucks. Edit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well we're getting so good we don't even really have to edit too much anymore. You just throw in some intro music, outro music, and then you're good to go. Yeah, we do we do do pretty well with this kind of stuff. And I did I did just say do do. I hate it you when did. people do that, but I just did it. But we didn't take all of the last two weeks off. We, it's not like we were completely detached from all of the content that we bring you podcasts for. Um, neither Dragon Ball Z in the movies, at least at least I got some viewing in. I, I don't know about you. Did you watch uh, any of, did you get at least one viewing of The World's Strongest in over the two-week break? I did at some point in time, but I'd be lying to you if I told you I remembered much about it. I see. I've, I've seen it twice. I watched it again tonight. And we definitely have not been divorced from all things My Hero Academia. I went through and reread all of the preceding chapters uh, to Vigilantes because that's what we're going to pick up covering this. Season five is done, and it has left a giant hole in, in the hearts of, of all My Hero Academia fans. But Vigilantes is there to pick up the pieces and fill that void. No joke, man. I forgot how much I missed Vigilantes. I was definitely not as studious as you. Uh, I didn't read every single chapter. I think I read the first like 15 or so. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to go read the synopsis of each story arc in an hour and a half or two. So that's what I did. And then I picked up right with chapter 86, which is the first chapter we're covering tonight. Um, But it did fill in that hole. I was kind of like a little bummed. I mean, I have a ritual there, you know, where on the weekends I watch the new episode of My Hero. And in the past couple weekends, I haven't had one. So... Uh, I know the movie came out, though, so hopefully everyone out there that got to go see it enjoyed it. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, our plan will be to treat movie three like we did movie two, which was uh, when it's out digitally, we will do our review, and then we will also uh, advertise for a watch a watch party and have uh, listeners of the pod join us on that, because we did that for movie two, and it was super fun. Yeah, it was a blast. I really enjoyed that. But I did go through and read all of the 85 preceding chapters uh, to what we're picking up with tonight. Uh, if you want, there. if you're not following us on Twitter, I did take some time and take some screenshots and make jokes and, and highlight some of my favorite uh, parts of that process. Uh, 
I forgot how much I hated everything that was about the Marukani Fest, especially the first one. Good Lord. Like, that's the one part of the of the vigilante stuff that I'm like, this is why it won't be made into an anime, because I, w- I will not watch six episodes of Marukani Fest stuff. <laughs> I bet but there might be, be some people out there who will think that'll be better, that that stuff will be great. Maybe. I mean, there was just a lot of planning in those chapters. That's what I remember. There's just It would just be like attending board meetings, you know? Yeah, that was pretty boring. But we also got some really, really good stuff. I fell in love all over again with Kamayan and the Hata Brothers. Super fun. The Aizawa backstory, of course, that we got to talk about during Season 5. That was referenced uh, that we tried to point you guys back to Vigilantes. If you missed that, if you aren't reading Vigilantes, some of the stuff around the Shirakumo reveal in Season 5 lifted straight from this little spinoff. Excellent material. Uh, oh, yeah. I had a blast overall. I even <laughs> I even still disliked Captain Celebrity at the beginning, and then he <laughs> still steadily grew on me. So like it it was just reliving that entire process with him again. It wasn't like, oh, I know he gets good, so I'll like him now. It's just like, no, I dislike his first few appearances, and then he gets better. Uh, I remember when he first showed up, you and I both were like, man, I hope Stain kills him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he gets you- a little bit of a turn. I appreciate that. Did you find anything new in the material? Did you pick up on anything that you were just like, oh, I didn't notice that last time? Oh, shoot, man. Now you're putting me on the spot. There was something that I tweeted about that I was like, I didn't realize this in my first read through. And now I don't remember what it is. I will have to consult the Twitters and that doesn't make for good audio. So, but there was something, if you search through the uh, uh, at almighty pod on Twitter and scroll through, you'll see where I did explicitly say, I missed this my first time through. I just can't recall what it is. Very cool. Well, everyone will have to go check out at Almighty Pod on Twitter. Uh, we might even have an Instagram out there now by the time you hear this. I don't know if I've posted anything to it yet, but I know I made one. I just haven't synced it up yet. So it's out there. So fancy. Well, what do you say? Why don't we uh, jump right on into chapter 86 and pick right up where we left off several months ago? Yeah, so to catch folks up really quickly we left off right at the very tail end of the b-pop arc i think is what it's called um anyway so there's this giant queen bee larva that used to be inside of knuckle duster's daughter but they removed it but then the villain six infested b-pop uh pop step with it transformed her into b-pop she became basically a terrorist for a while uh, but then they managed to extract it from her now, too. And so now Popstep is in the hospital. Koichi is like doing this like Overwatch sniper thing over the hospital. And then uh, uh, Soga and a couple of the other guys are down there just kind of playing bouncer at the door. This is a high security hospital that comes up like first thing in, in uh, chapter 86. But Popstep is out of the picture for the moment. And we only really get to stay in this present for about three pages. And then we get into a flashback, which. It's just par for the course. Um, we're, we're always, we, we never get to hang out in the present for very often in a lot of this um, manga or in the anime. That's true, but you know, everyone's used to that at this point, I think. I'm trying to remember what the name it was in uh, the main series whenever they go to rescue Bakugo from All for One. What was that? Was that um, Camino Station? Camino Ward? Yeah, Camino Ward. The Camino You're Ward. You're talking about That's the arc? Thinking. 
or just yeah, the yeah. place. The the rescue, the Camino Ward rescue. That whole scenario where they're rescuing Bakugo is very reminiscent of B-Pop getting rescued. Like, Wrapped and Tokage and Koichi have all teamed up and they've been training and they've got this, like, scenario where everything has to play off exactly the right way and they're able to get uh, that, you know... B-pop down from the sky and actually rescue her and get her to this hospital. It was just whenever you were talking about that, I was thinking, man, that reminds me so much of Camino Ward, and I, I didn't didn't know if I said that back in the day, but I wanted to now. So there you go. I think the name for that arc was the Hideout Raid arc, but I could the be wrong. Hideout Raid arc, yeah, that sounds right. Um, but anyways, random thought, random Adam thought there for everybody. Well, we start off with chapter 86, like you said, right outside of this hospital, and it looks like Sukuauchi is there. He's trying to get in to go and see B-Pop. Not B-Pop. At this point, she's just pop step, right? Correct. So she's, he's there trying to go and visit, uh, but we're, we actually really only see that for a second because we're catching back up with Detective Tanuma, who is the detective that we've seen. He's always smoking, it seems like. That's like the key thing that I remember him by. Uh, but he's Sukuauchi's friend, and he's actually talking to the cat that we talk about pretty often, like this random person that appears to have a cat quirk and wears a bell around their neck, presumptuously, I guess, by choice. Yeah, Sansa. Sansa's the cat cop with the That's bell right. on his neck. <laughs> That's right. Which is not a part of his quirk. He has made a fashion decision. We've been over this. (laughs) So Sansa is talking to Detective Tenema about how he is actually looking into the history of the hospital, which is something that the detective had asked him to do. And it turns out that there was a guy named Takashi Kuroiwa uh, that apparently basically made this hospital what it is today. Like there were a whole bunch of donations made to the hospital that have allowed it to become the high security uh, hospital that it is. And they had talked about how like this guy is a bit of a mystery because he holds these positions with all these other companies and it's like kind of weird because there's just not a lot of details on him. They talk about him almost kind of like um, I want to say almost like a Bruce Wayne uh, if Bruce Wayne didn't have that persona like just like a Batman that had all this tech equipment and like investments into these companies perhaps but you don't really know who he is or anything about him. But you know who this is right? As, oh, as we're reading this? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, Takeshi even... Kuroira is a name that... You remember when he met... Who was it? Was it uh, Koichi's mom? And he presented the card? Like a business card? Like his yeah. business card? Yeah, yeah, that was the name that he was using. It's one of his pseudonyms. Yeah, and it's really funny because I think uh, the detective even mentions like... Yeah, it's kind of weird that he uses business cards. Like most bigwigs like that, they, they're just online. Like you just know who they are. Knuckle Duster's old school though. He is old school, but it's kind of neat too because the detective is talking about this file that he's he's got a hold of. He's wanting to like bring up an old case that I guess he wants to look into, and uh, he's thinking to himself, "Caution and vigilance, yes, but sometimes caution alone isn't enough." And he's holding this picture that he I guess pulled out of the file of O'Clock, who Knucklebuster used to be. It sounds like. Well, it doesn't sound like we know that he used to be O'Clock at this point. Correct, and now we're treated to. Some good old flashback material. Yeah, In fact, seven years ago. <laughs> entirety of the, yeah, enti- entirety of the rest of the two chapters that we're covering today takes past seven or takes place seven years ago. And uh, you turn the page and you're introduced to Master Beast and Drunk Lee. Uh, and these are I, I googled them just for funsies to see if there's anything on them. That was that was fun. And there isn't really. Like Master Beast has an unnamed werewolf quirk, uh, and Drunk Lee has the dragon breath thing where he can. I don't know how it's his quirk. I guess maybe he doesn't need the flame because I was like, I mean, if I put high enough spirit alcohol in my mouth and and blow it over a match, I could do the same thing. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a bit of a typical trick. 
I guess I guess he could do it without the flame because I don't recall if he actually had to produce like a match or anything. I think he just spit it and it was fire. But we're introduced to this like underground ring fighting fight clubby situation that was taking place way back when. And it was all highly illegal. Um, in fact, everybody's encouraged to wear masks so they don't rat on other people, I guess, that are there. But it's also streamed, which I thought was super strange. I'm like, if I'm doing a super illegal thing, I don't know that I'm going to blast it out there on the internet. But well, it's probably on weird the dark and, web, you know, like that's a yeah, huge that thing, be true. like a trope in movies and whatnot. I think now where like there are people doing illegal things and streaming it because for some reason, folks think that's a good way to be anonymous, which I guess if you know what you're doing, it is. But most people don't know what they're doing. So it's not. Well, and there's some people like today in the real world who stupidly stream illegal activities too. Oh, yeah. So I guess yeah, I shouldn't be true. too terribly surprised. But this seems really produced. Like it's not like somebody whipped out their phone. No, on I mean a they have a mobile and, app. Like they're talking yeah. about refreshing your app so that way you can see the points you have invested in these different fighters. So like they've put a lot of time into developing what they are calling the underground masquerade. That's right. And so it's this no holds barred, quirks are totally allowed, weapons are allowed, fight between two competitors, I guess, until one of them gets significantly injured or or maybe dies. even dies. And so in yeah. this initial match, the werewolf man, what I call him? Super Beast? What was his? Master, Master Beast. Beast. He, uh, he slashes... Uh, the other guy, Drunk Lee, whose name I also forgot and had to scroll back two pages. <laughs> but then Drunk Lee uses his dragon breath quirk, question mark, probably, um, and sets the werewolf on fire, which seems highly effective. But both of them end up in the injury ward, uh, the hospital area where uh, they are afforded some medical attention. But we're going to find out more about what exactly that medical attention uh, might comprise uh, or what it's made of shortly at the end of the next chapter. Did you happen to notice that on the panel where they're introducing the underground masquerade, Winnie the Pooh is in the background? No. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. Page... I guess it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like I page see what you're four. Saying. There's a character in the back that's totally Winnie the Pooh. And he's like with a knight. <laughs> yeah. It's like super featureless Winnie the Pooh next to Shovel Knight is kind of yeah. what that looks like. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it had me cracking um, so up I... earlier. At the end of this match, um, we're we're kind of exposed to this underground thing and the points like you were talking about, but then we're kind of taken outside as this building is being evaluated uh, both by, what's this guy's name, Tanama? Is that what you called him? Yeah, Detective yeah, Tanama. It's him back in the day. Uh, he kind of looks like Ash Ketchum, like from Pokemon, if he was just, you know, like he drank a lot and smoked every day. And, and was like 45. <laughs> 45, yeah, that too. Not 12-year-old Ash, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Him the in Pokemon 30 years life was when he hard still on him. hasn't won a tournament yet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Didn't he only just recently do that? I think so, like but I also think the timeline actually? is really weird in that oh. series. Like, I think it's only been like a year since he left Pallet Town or something in that series. I gotcha. Well, they're, they're scoping this place out. Um, they're going to try to execute a raid of sorts, and O'Clock has had the police on scene so that he can make a quick and easy getaway um, but his plan is to go in there and not necessarily like bust up the fighters or even the betting or even the live streaming. He is on the trail of these drugs. Um, he says, my current target isn't the event itself. Some of the fighters in there are using uppers and quirk boosting drugs. I've been pursuing the drug side of this investigation. And now I'm heading in there to secure some evidence. And he just wants the police to cover his butt, I guess, when he gets out of there. 
Yeah, it sounds like they almost like he wants to use them as a distraction. If they come in and they're busting everything up, people will be so disarrayed that he can get in and get out, get what he needs, hopefully. It's funny because Detective Tinema is standing up like over this building with him and he uh, he tells the detective like, all right, any more questions? And he goes, yeah, what about that five o'clock shadow? And he just smiles and says, got to look the part and takes off, which I thought was just kind of funny. Like you get this feeling that Knuckle Duster just has this really good sense of humor back in the day, you know? Man, you remember full bearded Knuckle Duster, how awesome oh, that look was? was? So cool. He reminded me so this- much of like a Batman from Dark Knight or something. This is baby beard knuckle duster, but it is or or o'clock, I guess for now. But man, full on like lumberjack bush o'clock slash knuckle duster was such a good look. Like he needs to go back to that hard. Yeah. Well, when he he shows up in the next panel as the Ripper, and he is an underground fighter, and he's totally dressed the scene, like he's got all this, like, it almost looks like fake tactical gear on, like something you'd expect to see someone at a paintball match wearing, basically. Right, Uh, But he also has a combat knife, which, even when he goes to face Rappa, Rappa's like, would you buy that online somewhere? Like, it it does look kind of like a goofy getup that you'd see someone wear. Like, one of two things. Either this is the goofy getup you probably just saw a couple weeks ago for Halloween, or it looks like some goofy getup you would see in like a Fast and Furious 35 movie where they've got these like, I'm going to say quote unquote gangsters or thugs or something trying to, you know, take take over and, and beat up the main characters. Like it just looks so funny to me. Yeah, he's very generic and he's introduced as having five wins and no losses. So... Like, he's been in this situation five other times and has won, so he's significantly injured and possibly killed people uh, to try to infiltrate this underground fighting ring. But the guy that he's up against is Rappa. Um, And, man, I remembered that I died a little bit on the inside when Tomac pointed out in the Discord all those months ago now that when we stopped coverage of Vigilantes, that literally the next chapter, Rappa comes back because Rappa was one of my favorite parts of my hero proper. And so he comes in here sort of, um, he, so I'll get to the sort of in a second. He's introduced as well as being 20 and O. And I really like his little intro here. It says, if he meets God, he punches God. If he meets the Buddha, he punches the Buddha. If he meets you, I'll give you one guess of what you're getting. I I really like that (laughs) super cheesy, but definitely like very theatric ringside, um, like wrestler intro. I totally Um, heard it in a, JR's voice. I think that's his name from like WWE back in the day. Yeah. Well, he's introduced as the rapper. Um, and I was very confused as to why they would make such a tiny change to his name, especially because there's a joke immediately about how the Ripper is stealing the rapper's act by having a name that is so similar. But in Japanese, their names are identical. So if you look, if you go to like an English to Japanese translator on Google and you type in Ripper, it comes up Ripa. And if you type in Rapper, it also comes up Rapa, which is like this guy's actual last name, at least as far as we know. Um, So it is Ripa versus Rapa. But I guess that they couldn't like Rip. Ripa doesn't make sense in English, so they had to do the E-R instead of the A, I guess. So the it, something gets lost in translation with regards to the names. There were a couple of times in this chapter where I thought something kind of got lost in translation. Um, earlier, it was on page 10, actually. O'Clock says something about having those police there, so he can dig deeper, dive knowing. And I was like, what? Like, I think he's trying to say he wants to dig deeper or dive into this deeper. But, but the way that it was translated was kind of funny. Uh, but anyways, yeah, back into the action. I didn't even notice that until just now. Yeah. Yeah, it, um, it just read well, funny to me. 
Let's talk about just cage matches in general for a sec, because I stink and love a good cage match. I I was a wrestling fan of a sort when I was a kid, because like what, like eight, nine, ten year old boy wasn't at some point. Right. And but but I was never like I never got to see the pay-per-view stuff, which means I never got to see a cage match in wrestling. But pop culture is overflowing with, uh, I mean, really good, not just like kitschy, um, you know, basically paint by number cage matches, but really good and well done ones. Um, so I was curious if there were any that stood out to you, because I got a short list, not to spring too much on you. No, the the first thing I think of is when we first meet uh, Logan or Wolverine in X-Men, that first X-Men movie. I think it came out in like, what, 2000? Um it was That's, a while ago. It was a while ago. But I mean, that was an excellent cage fight. Like you just got the sense that this dude was a total badass. So that's one that's always really stood out to me for sure. I liked um, the the one that leaps to my mind first and foremost is the one from the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because in that, um, it's it's him versus... Uh, oh, oh What was... Bonesaw, that's right. Yeah. I was like, what was Macho Man Randy Savage? Yeah. Bonesaw's like, I got, ready. I got three minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love that cage match. It's so much fun. Um, I like, I even like the one from uh, Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Um, with that Charizard was just the Pokemon Pikachu. fighting. That was so yeah. cool. And the Explouds were like being the like crazy DJ things. That was yeah. super cool. That was a really cool scene. That was. Um, one of the newer X-Men movies, the ones that had uh, not not uh, that had James McAvoy as Professor X. Mm-hmm. There's a Nightcrawler cage fight with like him versus Angel that I that I distinctly recall. That's really good. And then there was an entire Jet Li movie that was based around cage fights called Unleashed. I want to say that was super fun. You know, Kana, uh, not Kana. You know, Keanu Reeves has a movie that I think you can actually watch on Netflix named Man of Tai Chi, and it's kind of cage fight-y. Like, they're not literally in a cage, but it is a confined area in most of the fights, and it is super cool if you've not checked that out. I haven't, and I'm I'm, I'm usually pretty interested in a Keanu Reeves movie. Oh, uh, you need to check this one out. This is one of Keanu's better, I, at least in my opinion. I, I really liked it. I thought it was a really fun movie he did, and cool side note the main character in that movie was actually someone that he worked with on the matrix. So like he's known this guy for a long time and they've done movies together for a really long time. I think he was one of his like sparring partners for the matrix when he first started learning some of that stuff. So it's a really cool movie. Well, as you guys are listening to this, if you have any favorite cinematic cage fights or cage fight experiences by way of pay-per-view and the WWE slash WWF or whatever kind of wrestling flavor that you subscribe to, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter or the Discord and uh, let's talk about it because clearly we can. <laughs> we we yeah. want to talk more about fights that take place in, inside of cages what because about they're other, super fun. Uh, anime cage fights? I don't know of too many. Yeah, I can't, I mean, not from the anime that I typically watch. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Although I did see, I watched the first episode of God of High School recently. I think mm-hmm. that's what it was called. We talked about it briefly in the Discord. And it kind of has a cage fight, sort of. It's more like an arena battle, like a battle royale in, a, in an enclosed space. So not really a cage, but that's the closest thing I can think of off the top of my head. I feel like anime has gotten not weird, but like, I feel like the naming of anime has gotten weird. Like there's probably one out there named that one time I got stuck in a cage fight and totally won. (laughs) Like, I just feel like all of the names for anime are just super long now. 
Well, and if there isn't one called I totally got stuck in a cage fight and totally won, then we deserve royalties for whipping up such a ingenious and it just flows right off the tongue. Exactly. I agree. <laughs> let's get back to this cage fight. In this one, Rappa continues to have issues with the Ripper uh, because not only does he think that he's borrowed his naming convention, but he's also a little frustrated by the presence of this knife, which is totally allowed by the rules of the ring, but violates Rappa's mode or or thought as far as uh, his fighting uh, mythos. Yeah, like the way that he thinks fights should be carried out, his respect for fighting. Uh, the there's a term that is like totally eluding me right now for what this would fall up under for him. But it is, yeah, it's his ethos. Uh, and so he's kind of insulted by the presence of this knife. He takes issue with it with Rippa. Yeah, because he, he just wants to be able to have like a mano a mano, like you're going to fight me man to man, a knockdown drag out death match. That's what he says he wants. And, uh, you know, I think Knuckle Duster realizes pretty quick that that is not going to bode well for him uh, because this is, I mean, he's not really here to actually fight this guy. Uh, but Rappa doesn't care. Rappa is like, all right, well, fine, whatever. Like, I'm going to stick to my code. I'm going to do my thing. And I'm going to let my fist judge you. And he says, judge tacky guys like you. And he just goes after him. I mean, the moment the bell rings, it's like that full on Rappa that we loved from the show. Like, just ready shotgun blast a fist to o'clock as a reminder uh rappa's quirk is that he has like really fast movement of his shoulders like he can rotate his shoulders really quickly which is really good for the punching of things and so he does this flurry of blows at the ripper manages to not only demask or unmask i guess um, but also disarm him in the process uh and the announcer thinks that that means that's the end of this fight um but not one to be knocked down and not stand up again. The Chumbawamba man himself, the Ripper, stands back up and he says, now we're going to keep on going. And this, of course, impresses Rappa because he's a big on honor. He's big on courage. He's big on just uh, balls, really. I mean, he's yeah. just like, dude, if you're going to stand toe to toe with me and make this a good fight, you're you're my bestie now. He He's he's smitten with that kind of attitude. We saw that the same thing um, in the fight between him and Kirishima. Yeah, he says, I said my fist, we're going to judge you, but scratch that, because I got respect for you, bub. Which I feel like has totally got to be a reference to Wolverine. Like, I don't know too many other characters that call someone bub all the time. Right. And so that is the end of chapter 86. Um, and so we're going to transition into chapter 87, which is called Ripper versus Rapper. Again, I, I don't think that translated very well. And it picks right up where we kind of left off. Like it's actually goes back in time and we see the beginning of this fight all over of again. Of course it does. Right? We see the beginning of this fight all over again, but this time it is from O'Clock's perspective. And he is talking about how like he can't believe how serious Rappa is about this. And he's, you know, he's like, man, is he not playing with a full deck? Like I've got a knife. He's not even a little bit scared of this. And so he realizes he's going to have to ditch the knife because intimidation's not going to put Rappa down. And if he's ditching the knife, you might as well go ahead and ditch the mask too because he needs to be able to breathe. Like he, he reminds us that with his quirk, it just consumes this massive amount of oxygen anytime he uses it. And so he, he gets rid of the mask to be able to breathe better and see better. And he gets right back into this fight. But it's so cool because he like allows the punches to hit him right where he needs them to, to make it look like he was getting hit. So he's fully in control of this fight from the get-go. Yeah, and to be clear, he has marketed himself as a quirkless individual with a knife. Oh, has um, he? I didn't realize has. that he had done, like, I guess, marketed himself as quirkless. 
Yep, he has. And so they nobody in the ring or spectating knows that he's got that he is O'Clock because that would be a huge giveaway if he's like, I got a speed quirk, you know. Yeah, um, that's true. So he's he's very much undercover and so he's masking this as best he can and so he stages being hit. Um he basically orchestrates uh, having both his mask and the knife knocked out of his hands. Uh, and he just says, I'll shift gears and fight like a street brawler instead, which I kind of get the feeling is something that he doesn't get to do very often, but really enjoys, especially if you look at like how knuckle duster operates in the, in the present, like in all the things that we've ever seen him do, the dude just loves punching things. Mm-hmm. You remember yeah. when, uh, when he first came onto the scene and he was just trying to like check folks for black tongues. Yeah. And he like was just, just threatening everybody left and right. Like, I'm going to go punch that guy and check his tongue. <laughs> yep. Like I'll just punch him out and grab their tongues and see if it's black or not. Yeah. That was awesome. And I, I think you're yeah. right too. Like I can totally envision this panel of him, like hanging up the Cape and just being like, well, I guess I don't have to fight respectfully anymore. Yeah. I mean, he's the knife was there. It was a tool. It was a means to an end, but he is totally comfortable just slinging fists with Rappa. Which is just, it's just fun. It makes for good reading. Uh, but we cut away from that and we catch up with fat gum, standard weight in parentheses. So he's, he's not really fat gum. He must have recently blown, uh, you know, all of the, the saved up energy, pent up energy within his body recently, uh, him being a pro hero and whatnot. Uh, and he's uh, entertaining out in the public, chomping down on some takoyaki as he almost always is. And he bumps into three girls who apparently are there visiting from another school in Hiroshima. Uh, and so he's kind of conversing with them back and forth a little bit. They're they're a little confused. They're lost. One of them is clearly a student of Master Roshi as she's got the 50-pound turtle shell on her back. But the other one ha- has a takoyaki helmet on, uh, which took <laughs> me a while to like sort out when I was first reading. I was like, what, yeah. is, is, what is that? I had the same problem, too, because I didn't notice it in the first panel she's wearing it. But then in the panel where it zooms in on her, it's just Tokoyaki covering her head. And I was like, did they drop a piece? And it's just a weird shot. What's happening? But in the last panel, you see it fly off of her head. So I put it all together as we were recording this. Yeah, she catches a whiff of her favorite thing. And she describes it as the scent of blood and sweat in the air, a battle nearby. And then this person just takes off and they say hang on Ruko um, but when we get a good look at her a little bit later I do not suspect that that's her actual name maybe that's some sort of nickname or something um, because there's only one person that this person could be in yeah. this world I think I'm pretty sure it's Mirakumo right it's Mirko Mirko okay yeah I was close yeah, the, I, we've not been introduced to her lady. officially so I'm fine with that I got pretty close <laughs> we've, we've seen her a couple times but I don't think she's like actually talked hero? or done anything, has she? Like, I, I don't think she's... I know she got introduced. We've definitely heard her name. Okay. Well, screw me then. Or, well, her hero <laughs> name. I don't know that we know her as Rumi uh, Usagiyama. And gotcha. Usagi is like Japanese straight up for rabbit, I'm pretty sure, because oh, that's the wow. same uh, for Usagi Yojimbo. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we cut back over to the fight where all the action is happening, and Rappa is just having his way with Ripper. At least he thinks he is. Um, he is just going on and on and on, just just absolutely wailing on him. But it's pretty crazy uh, because, it, I mean, even the people that are watching the fight are like, are we watching a god in action? Because it seems like O'Clock, as we know him, or Ripper, as they do, is just able to stand up to Rapper, like not having any problems with this at all. 
And he's kind of having this internal monologue talking about Rappa's quirk and trying to figure it out. And he's talking about how it's like full of excessive movement, but he's not even able to keep up really. Like he's having a, a hard time with overclock trying to find an opening to where he's able to dodge and breathe and keep everything on his terms. And it's like, he mentions that the consistency of the punching is just crazy. He even gets to a point where he kind of admits that this guy's fighting style is respectable. Like he's, he's honed in on what he needs to do to get away with cage fighting. Basically he calls him a veteran, a battle worn pit bull. And then even says like, what a fun guy. Yeah. And then he takes a punch or at least makes it look like he takes a punch. I'm sure it had to connect a little um, for at least to sell it to Rappa. And th- it reminded me too, there was a time early on in Vigilantes where there was a big, I don't know, like physical quirk giant maybe man. And uh, he had to get inside of his punches in order to do the damage. And he was doing a similar thing where he was just dancing just inside of the punches. And it reminded me a lot of his movement uh, and the placement of his body here. Although when he was doing that early in Vigilantes, he would have been doing so without his quirk, which right. makes it, more impressive and much more risky. Well, I do think that like Rappa's even kind of taken aback by this though. Cause after that panel where it shows O'Clock getting hit, even Rappa's like, Oh, what? Like, okay. And then even as he's standing over him, he kind of, yeah, he's like, you can tell it there. It almost feels like Rappa doesn't, totally believe that he just knocked him out in one hit like something's up i don't know if we'll see more of that or not but it wouldn't surprise me if he was like okay i know something's going on here Uh, but we transitioned to seeing uh ripper or o'clock on this like laid out on the floor with with master beast and drunk lee and a couple of other fighters and there's a, a masked doctor talking about you know the the match being a sight to behold and Victory may be escaping Mr. Ripper today, but they of the Underground Masquerade would like to honor his efforts, and they have concocted something to nudge him toward a rematch or maybe even a future win. And it looks like maybe it could be some trigger or something. Definitely a drug. Definitely what he's there for. Yeah, absolutely. So he's he's probably going to try and get some of this evidence before he gets out. Uh, but I had a thought here whenever I saw all this stuff happening, and I wanted to run it by you and see what you thought. So we know that there is... a terrible theory. I know. It's already... Oh, I'll let you finish. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So we know that earlier on, and I think it was the last chapter, O'Clock is talking about how there's this whole, like, online gang running this, that the people that are actually working the event are probably not really high up involved in the chain. They're just doing their thing. It's the people that are running this all online that are actually really behind everything. Do you think that a skeptic from the Metal Liberation Army could be involved in this somehow? Like he would have the quirk and the infrastructure to set up some kind of crazy like app and like underground fight ring. It'd be nuts if we saw him get involved with this too. Yeah, I mean, it could be... I guess it could it could be skeptic. I, it fits within the timeline. I hadn't really thought about who who could ultimately behind this or it would just be, be behind neat. this rather. Yeah, it would be kind of cool if if we saw his like one mistake or the one time he was wrong or whatever in Vigilantes. Like if there was more than just Shirakumo's backstory, if we saw something from the <laughs> Liberation Army as well, I'd be like, oh man, that's so cool. Yeah, but I also wonder if, especially with regards to that particular thing that we just want that so bad that we're going to be reading that into every little thing. No, you're right. We probably <laughs> no. picked up on something that's absolutely nothing, and all the listeners are like, God, get over it. <laughs> well, we know that Knuckle Duster has been pretty keen on this his own little private war on drugs for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, and where where those drugs ended up 
being like tied to six and they're they're thereby to offer one and, and some of the folks behind that stuff. So I'm I figured that this was like infancy version of some of that, like them really at the like ground floor of what would later become trigger and later turn into the, you know, putting multiple quirks into somebody like this is like step one, you know, it's like step one, whatever is in this needle, step two, you know, and it, and it just progresses all the way up to whatever Shigaraki is doing right now, you know, or Dr. Mm-hmm. Garaki even for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we end this chapter pretty much with us transitioning away from that environment entirely and being up on the rooftops overlooking this parking garage where the underground masquerade is at. And it's a Miriko, like you said. She's upset because she's been left out of all the fun. And she did that little sing-songy thing. There's like a little music note in some of her word bubbles here. We're back to that is now. There? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there is. That must be the place. Does does have one. Yeah, and she... It's so strange, like... We haven't had much exposure to her, really. Um, but the way that she phrases her catching on to the sense just caught a whiff of my favorite thing. It's the scent of blood and sweat in the air, a battle nearby. Like, what? Like, it kind of has some weird, like, toga vibes. Yeah, but even then, it's like, if she's a hero, we know she's just in school. How does she know Rappa or O'Clock or any of them? Like, we just don't know how she's mixed up in this yet. But it seems weird. Like, she seems too young to be mixed up in it. Yeah, well, she's she's just a student right now. I don't think she's mixed up in anything. I just think that this is I, the, the way that uh, that they describe her catching catching a hold of that scent and being drawn to it magnetically. Like she's she's mm. definitely going to get into some sort of fight here, yeah. and she's just a kid, you know. And it is very toga like. You're right. Yeah, just the way the way that she said it was the thing that I was like, that's kind of creepy, and I never got those vibes from Mirko. But uh, as you said, even even though we have seen her and had even heard her name before we don't really know all that much about her yeah and so maybe this is laying some groundwork that like people who are the manga readers and have had much more exposure to her probably by this point are like oh yeah we we definitely see the the seeds of elements of her personality in this little bit in vigilantes so i'm curious to see what she does when she gets there like is she just like my turn and steps into the ring. <laughs> like, is Rappa still standing there? Like, are just, we going to get Mirko versus Rappa? I'd be down for that. Is this like a battle of the, or King of the Hill kind of situation? She's just going to be the 23rd or the 22nd fight? Or it's just like the the tournament from the, what was it, the second Dragon Ball movie? Where yeah. it was just like, all right, round number one. And then the second round was just like, all right, whoever wants to step in now. You <laughs> yeah, know? <laughs> whoever can. Yeah, King of the Hill style. Yeah, that's going to be nuts. Oh, I'm gosh. interested in seeing it, man. Can't wait. Yeah, man, it's so good to be back in Vigilantes. Um, we are going to take it a little bit slower. And like part of it is just to buy a little bit of time. Like uh, as, as excited as I am to get to socks and, and ties from Hot Topic, uh, I, I don't. I feel like our listener base would decrease. It'll diminish by the time we get there. <laughs> hey, maybe we so get a Vigilantes sweet, is like, hot. hot Topic sponsorship. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I should be working on that. Maybe I'll drop that on him next time I'm in Hot Topic. <laughs> well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode. Uh, check us out in two weeks. We'll be back with chapters 88 and 89. Uh, if you're interested, we're going to be covering a next Dragon Ball Z movie on Kaio Cinema, our other podcast. What are we covering? Is it Tree of Might? No, the no, World's Strongest. World's Strongest. I don't know why I thought Tree of Might. It's the super sci-fi one. It's kind of fun. I still haven't decided how I feel about it yet. Well, check out next Monday, Kyo Cinema, to find out. But we'll see everyone next week. Yep. See you guys. Mm-hmm.